Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadia podcast. I'm Moose Rakwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, thanks, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Excellent, in fact. Uh, a fun weekend watching lots of football. Which we'll so much into. football. So much football. Uh, uh, we've got to be quick today because I've got to run. I've got to run out of here. It'll be fast. Don't worry. We're very fast. I'm not sure I've got the pace for it anymore, Musa. I do. Pass first striker over there. That's true, it's true. Something Liverpool could do with maybe. They could. <laughs> They didn't need it in the end. But anyway, Got away with it. Um, yeah, we hope that. everyone's staying safe, staying well. Um, just a quick bit of admin. There's no righty's house this week. Unfortunately, Ian is traveling and on multiple different time zones. So we won't be able to, we literally won't be able to do it this week. So righty's mm-hmm. house will be back the week after next week. Well, yeah, next week. Um, Stadio will be back on Thursday, like normal. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, check the ringer.com, check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Or actually, is there any, we haven't got any other pieces up at the moment, but I'm sure we've got some more in the pipeline. There'll be more coming soon. Yeah. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Real Madrid Barcelona. We're going to talk about PSG Marseille. We're going to talk about Liverpool Manchester City. And then we'll fill the gaps in on some other stuff. But those will be our three main games today. WSL return this weekend, mm-hmm. as you were at the top of the league. Playoff time in the US, that's all kicking off. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll check in on those when we can. Mm. But yeah, lots and lots of stuff that we might have to swerve for this episode. But let's get into the stuff we are going to talk about after this. Let's do it. All right, man, let's start in the Bernabeu. We have to. Ramage at three, Barcelona one in El Clasico, which was... I thought a pretty fun game, to be honest. I thought actually all the three the three main games that we're going to focus on this week were all super fun as a new. I really enjoyed them. I really yeah. enjoyed. I, them. I imagine yeah. as, as as a fan of either speaking as an Arsenal fan who we might very quickly mention the Leeds game when we touched on the Premier League. But um, yeah, I never want to. I, ironically, I never w- really want to talk or hear about that game ever again. Yeah, <laughs> because it was horrible. Oh, but God. it's really nice having nothing at stake. Yeah, it is really nice. 
I loved the flow of this game. Mm. It was almost like Barcelona forgot about they forgot about all their troubles that they've had. And it was just, a little, it had a little bit of a vibe of Classicos of old in the early stages, I thought. This is what worries me about Barcelona, though. This is what worries me about them, because they can't make it painless, this descent. That's going to give us too much hope. Oh, like Barcelona might regain some element. That's the thing, because whenever you watch Barcelona, the problem is I'm hardwired whenever I watch Barcelona to kind of expect some aspect of, not the 2011, not that naive, but the 2015, maybe, the Luis Enrique team. So when I see players there, got that fluidity, got that style, I'm expecting at some point the Luis Enrique gene to click in and they just go on a run. But it's not going to happen because they're too brittle for that. And they also have that weird thing that Xavi does where, you know, he's a very, very good coach that mm. makes some strange tactical choices. Like, so, the, well, the omission of Gavi in this game. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Maybe it's a retrospective thing, but it's the way the game panned out. But then also like, you know, the, the Marcos Alonso selection um, in the Champions League. Oh, yeah, League, in previous games. For example, so in previous games. So it's just, there's just one, every so often with, with a Xavi, there's one thing that I look at and go, oh, this isn't quite working. And I think the reason it's happening is because Unfortunately, and I hate to say this because they've been such great players at the club, the veterans are now a bit load-bearing. Yes, I mean, we saw that in the week. Right, and there's an element of them being carried. And the problem is, and I said this at Frankie de Jong, for the first time in watching him in a couple of years, I've got to say this, I think he's lost his aura. De Jong? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you, though, if you'd been put through the No, of course, of course. But like- the reason I say this, and I say it with such hesitancy, is like, when a, player, when, a, when a player who is on path to greatness, mm. and maybe like, you know, all-time great might be a bit, I think he won't be an all-time great now, but could be a modern great. Certainly like Jadon Sancho and, and Frankie de Jong, they're two players who were on pace to become modern greats and they've both lost their aura. And the reason I say that hesitatingly is because it's a, lo- it's a long way back, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. And the reason why I think they've lost it is partly because they haven't managed the transition of Busquets well. They've been too fearful, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, who, who would you have started with, like, talking about that decision in terms of Gabby? Who would you have started in midfield then, this game? Gabby instead of Busquets and De Jong as the, as the holding? I think so, and you, keep it, and you keep it flowing. Yeah, I mean, I know Kessier's had a little bit of injury trouble, but I thought he might have been a good shout. Because I think the, the thing that we saw in this game, I thought yeah. anyway, in terms of the midfield, mm. was like, you saw it for Real Madrid's first goal, right? Yeah. How... Real Madrid's veterans in midfield are just way more mobile. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned this. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Against certain midfielders, Busquets is, is still a really good player to have in there. And we saw he, he, he hit some amazing form last season and a little bit the season before. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Even though Barcelona lost the game, they still had 57% possession and they still right. kind of just pipped Real Madrid on the XG. Mm. It wasn't like they were mega, mega, mega outplayed. It was just that Real Madrid, I think, were almost managing the game. They, they kind the of game. Man- yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 it always felt like Real Madrid could, like, had another gear if they needed to. Mm. But going back to the mobility thing, basically what Real Madrid have done is they've replaced the youngest of that midfield three mm. with a way more mobile, younger model, if you want to look at it in that sense. And it's really weird that actually out of the three, Casemiro's mobility was the one that was probably internally at Real Madrid it was that piece that they were looking at being like, that's the piece that we actually need to think about upgrading, which is super weird if you think about it now. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, and maybe that's me with the benefit of hindsight, but Modric is still as mobile as he's always been. And Tony Kroos, I think, is, is just... There's a funny thing that happened. Kroos, is it movement? Yeah. Was extremely interesting. Right, he was more advanced. There's a, I've noticed this actually. 
Kroos in the previous season was sitting very, very deep, right? And he yeah. even talked about, oh, I don't go forward that much. In two particular games, I think it was the 4-1 a couple of games ago and, 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 and now, Kroos's movement, he's really pushing up high. Mm. And that's quite good because that sort of sucker punches, it, I think it tricks people because people are like, oh, they're expecting the, qu- the quarterback. And when you see him breaking time and again and actually taking real creative risks like a 10, it's like an unexpected problem for defences. And they haven't worked it out because you saw in this game, for example, the amount of times Kroos broke. And even like, even for the goal, the opening goal, the way he wins it high up and then plays it through is really like, that's the thing he's almost added. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. Sorry to cut in, but I think also how Ancelotti is using Fede Valverde really helps that midfield out because Fede Valverde has such flexibility and versatility in where he can play on the pitch and actually the ground he covers. And what I think he's doing really well is that he's helping Real Madrid out slightly differently in a defensive sense, but then when when they push forward, he doesn't really quite go full full winger and he mm. tucks in a little bit. The deployment of Valverde is huge. It's been so key to them for ages now. And Tony Kroos after the game, just what do you say? Uh, Valdi top three, uh, Fede Valverde top three? Yeah, top, top three, three in, in the world. world. I was like, I think Tony Kroos listens to Stadio. <laughs> do you know what I love about the Valverde love? It's that every now and again, a player comes along and you think he does something genuinely different. You have yeah. a player who, if he had to play as a full sign, he'd do it, right? And he'd find out a way to score goals doing it, actually. Ironically, a very Atleti style player. Very, very, player actually. <laughs> he is a hybrid of, I'm going to say this, he's a hybrid of Ilkay Gundogan and Luis Enrique. Oh my goodness. He's like a Venn diagram. Does that make sense? He's like a Venn diagram of the two players in terms of the willingness to self-sacrifice. You know, these are, these are all players who don't care what the individual stats are. Mm. They'll do whatever they told. He has, so the, the added physicality is a good one. and obviously not as physical as Valverde. Valverde's versatility and just, you can just put him anywhere. Yeah, he's so good, man. Play on the counter, play deep, play possession football, play 30% possession football, like doesn't, doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, he, was, he, he didn't score the first. He scored the second, which was a lovely finish, actually. A beautiful, right. beautiful finish. But the first goal with the ball in the Real Madrid half, all of a sudden the ball breaks. Tony Kroos out muscles Busquets. Breaking right. forward, puts the ball through. All of a sudden, everyone in that Barcelona backline is frantically pegging it towards their own goal. I think two or three of them in the end end up behind mm. Ter Stegen. On like, there are bodies everywhere. Ter Stegen just when the goal went in, he you could see the frustration because he was just like, "How the fuck have we conceded that goal again actually? to this again. Real Madrid?" But it's also the most Real Madrid goal because you know, actually there's a classico this reminds me of. It was the one where um, was it Ansu Fati that, that had a really good chance early on and it was a couple of years ago and it was a similar pattern and then Benzema got the opener and the same thing happened again. Mm. And even like the way that Benzema delays his run, it's almost like he knows his that is. the defence is so chaotic that the ball will break because he's like, yeah, they're a mess back there. And this is the problem with it. I saw um, Barcelona fans on Twitter frustrated because they felt like Real Madrid actually had the worst of the game and were 2-0 up. And I just thought to myself, well, I think this is, no, it's been, we can't say this anymore because we've seen Madrid win this way for yep. so long that we have to now accept this is them doing it's game by design. It's not, yeah. it's not by accident. They let, you, they let you punch yourself out. They spot the gaps. They know where you're weak and they go in there and they just, they're after you. I mean, you talked about Real Madrid a number of times before in terms of like, what are they? And it's really, the thing I love is when you do your little Real Madrid pieces and then Real Madrid fans are like, <laughs> Musa just kind of gets Real Madrid. It's really oh, like, because it, they're very, 
They are, I think, a hard. I think for in 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 the landscape of modern football, they are quite a difficult club to figure out football wise. Because mm. I was watching this game, just being like, "Explain to me what Real Madrid are trying to do." With Real Madrid, I was just like, "They're just really good. They've just got really good players." That was literally all it was. It was like, they've just got really good players who have played together on the whole for quite a while. The mm. core have yes, and um, they're just really good. And it sounds so simplistic, but that was literally the best I can think of. Now, obviously, there are little tactical tweaks here and there. You know, we talked about Valverde, we talked about other players in the past, but it's just muscle memory. Let me say something sacrilegious, actually. Real Madrid and what Man City did are not that far removed. I know Man City lost to Liverpool, we'll get into that. But if you look at the positional stuff that City did, what is it really? City have got really good players who allow Cancelo to go really, really high up. Look. No disrespect to City. There's, there's a lot more to what City are doing than just that, right? But the fundamental, the fundamental principle is the same in that they're so gifted, the mm-hmm. back line, and Rodri, like Rodri's touch technique, unbelievable, that it allows Cancelo just to vacate the bulk of his defensive responsibilities because Pep is basically like, look, we can basically afford to go man short in defence because we're so good at keeping possession. Mm-hmm. And because Madrid know their touch is so good, the technique is so good in tight spaces, it just creates all this space all over the pitch. It's why Modric is flying because Modric technically is so good. He's almost, you know, he's almost unpressable, you know? Mm. So that is, you know, it's a very reductive analysis of it, but it means that Madrid is so good that they know when they're playing against Barcelona that they're going to leave gaps. They know this is a team whose confidence is fragile. And, you know, when they lost that, when Lewandowski missed that at the far post, uh, um, this is really interesting because I wanted to touch on this quickly. You want to get to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. No, no, no. Just basically like I think he had those two chances that I think he mm. could have done better with. And if you look at the breakdown of the XG, which I know doesn't always tell the story, but I think in this game is super interesting because Barcelona had 2.16 mm. to Real Madrid's 1.14. And that's including a penalty, remember? Yeah. They could have put a couple of chances away and been tighter in it anyway. Well, this is the frustration with the Lewandowski thing. Like, And I said this uh, before, like for all his brilliance, for all the important goals he scored, the two biggest chances of the season he's had against Bayern and against Real, he's missed and they've cost them so badly. If they'd taken the lead against Bayern in the Champions League, the way they were playing, could have gone on to win. Again here, I'm not saying they've gone on to win, but perhaps a point, for example, but missing out the far post, because the problem is Barcelona are so fragile, you can't afford big misses. This is the real problem. So it actually puts more pressure on those chances. Like a really good team misses chances and just carries on. I mean, look at Liverpool the other day. Liverpool missed a couple, two or three really good opportunities, mm. including Salah, but they, they, they found a goal from somewhere. And the problem with Barcelona is they miss a huge chance and you don't have faith at this point that they're going to get another breakthrough. Yeah, which because is weird the, because they yeah, did create yeah. quite a lot, you know, and then they got back into it, what, with a few minutes to go of Baron Torres. Mm. Um, and Sufati, spectacular again, great I mean, assist. And Sufati's just, he's just amazing. Yeah. Um, but then Real Madrid got a penalty right at the end, which were uh, Fal and Rodrigo from Eric Garcia, and then uh, Rodrigo put it away himself. Now, I mean, should Barcelona have had a penalty on Lewandowski? I think that was, I think it could have been given, man. Could have done, could have done. Yeah, it was a good shout for one, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about in this game? No, I think, I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. It's not, it wasn't the wildest surprise, I would say. No, it wasn't, but I also Which don't think it was catastrophic work. from a Barcelona point of view. No, 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 no. I mean, a lot of people talking about the Drake curse. I mean, it is what it is. The Drake logo on a Barcelona shirt in a Classico. Not wild about that. Aesthetically, I mean, there was some talk in the chat about this. Aesthetically, it looks, yeah, know, it looks, it looks nice. nice. It looks nice. I don't know. Do you know what it is? The re- here's, here's the sad thing about it. I think the thing that's sad about it is that it reminds you that Barcelona 
are in financial. You know they're what I mean? Up, yeah. They're up against, that, I think that's the thing. It's the fact, it's not that it doesn't look, it does actually like aesthetically, like, you know, gold yeah, out, it's nice. pretty cool. It's just the, the knowledge that Barcelona, it's, what is, it's, it's, it's loaded with, they're going through it basically. Yeah. But this is and very, this is like that week, kind of yeah. deal. Do you remember when uh, Atleti had loads of different films on there? Um, mm, yeah, exactly. that time because they had that deal with, was it Sony Pictures they had it with? And there was like Spider-Man climbing up the side of the Vicente Calderon yeah. for a while. Spider-Man is such an Atleti player as well. <laughs> do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You think, I think so. Do you not think Atleti are a little bit more Green Goblin? <laughs> oh my, come on. Literally, if Spider-Man had a motto, be the suffering is necessary. I mean, come on, with great privilege comes great responsibility. It's literally the most, it's the most athletic thing ever. Yeah, fair. Um, elsewhere in La Liga, um, Sevilla beat Mallorca 1-0. San Paolo means business. Uh, Atleti got through against Athletic Club 1-0. Um, this was such an Atleti performance. 39, <laughs> 39% possession, 0.35 XG, win the game 1-0. Love that. God. Uh, Real Sociedad beating Celta Vigo 2-1 and Real Sociedad are on a run of wins now which goes back all the way to the defeat at Getafe on the 11th of September. Seven straight games they've won, Real Sociedad. And Betis beating Almeria 3-1 as well. Those were some key results from the weekend. So Real Madrid, outright leaders now. Three points clear of Barcelona on 25 points. Barcelona 22 points. Atleti third on 19. Level on points with Betis and Real Sociedad. That's the top five. Do you want to go to France? Let's do it. PSG Marseille. Yes. Really a fun game. I loved it. Oh my goodness. Actually, one thing. So um, PSG won Marseille nil in the end. My one frustration with this game is that there was a little bit of a moment where I felt, are PSG playing the occasion and not the team? Because if they've been bolder in attack, in terms of movement, and maybe this is because they don't have a natural nine, some of their movement was a bit tentative in and around the box. There's a couple of occasions where they broke so well and six yards out, anyone in the box, it's 1-0 PSG, uh, 1-0 Marseille. And I felt like they created a quality of opportunity. And I'm not saying that PSG weren't ultimately just in terms value just for the 1-0 win. They were, they were just about value well, they were for the good win. value for it. I, f- I feel like Marseille could have come away with something. And I thought Guendouzi in particular was outstanding. He's been playing really well, man. I mean, obviously, I've really watched every single Marseille game, every single week in full. But the, the, when I have watched Marseille, he just seems to have got... He, he seems to have, um, what's the word? I don't want to say mature because that sounds really patronising because he's obviously going to mature as a young man anyway because he was very young when he came to Arsenal. But, but he has his fit. He fits there. He fits really well there. I mean, because we watched, <laughs> watched him a lot when he went to Hertha and he was just mm. a bit like, he played at Hertha. He played pretty well at Hertha on and off, but it was also very much like, yeah, this is very temporary for me. Mm. Um, moving to Marseille for him, I think it's been a big... It's been a really big thing, actually, because he feels like he's thrived off the added responsibility and maybe just a little bit less noise. He just seems to be playing really well and really enjoying it. I mean, this Chris Grinduzzi in this arsenal, the reason I say that is because nominally he was, you know, his tactical position, as it says in in the tactics, is like higher up the pitch. If I look at how deep he was breaking with the ball and how he was breaking up play and coming forward, like the ground he covered, I'd be, I'd fascinated to see his heat map. He was playing at sometimes a six, sometimes an eight, mm. sometimes even a 10. Like his movement was, oh, they called it box to box back in the day. Um, yeah. But just the way he intercepted so much and like the way that like PSG were constantly on him and he anticipated time and again what they were trying to do. And I just thought, this is the Gwendozi actually. But like yeah. this, is, this, is this is a game where, 
you know, those three, like, you know, there was a lot of talk, I've said this before, there's a lot of talk about Mbappe wanting a nine to play off. We talked about it in the previous podcast, but I don't think PSG needed a nine in this game. I think their movement actually is perfectly fine without one. I think if anything, Mbappe just needs to get his shooting boots because he had really good positions to do more, I think, with what he had. I just think that Guendouzi against an elite European team was arguably the best centre midfielder. Like, if I look at the centre mids on the pitch, on the pitch, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think I'd back him against what Verratti and, and Vitinha. I, I love Verratti Vitinha. played well though. I thought oh, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think he played really well. Don't get me wrong. I just think that Guendouzi showed something really special because the tempo of this game, right? It kind of started high and it never really let up. Mm. And also, got to say as well, like. I know that, you know, he's a man who's received plenty of plaudits over the years, but some of Messi's playmaking. Oh my God. The weight of these passes. Can we, can we, can we talk about the free kick? Oh my God. Because this is, this is honestly one of the wildest things I've ever seen on a football pitch. Honestly. Incredible, so we have this We had this thing a few years ago. Do you remember when we would always talk about how Messi, <laughs> me, how Messi would, yeah, Messi would just break teams in terms of free kicks. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they would always be, you could see people trying to figure out who was it against Betis when someone dropped back and then came forward again and Messi put it in that top corner anyway? Yeah, he put someone on the line. Oh Messi literally God. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there was, a, there was a direct free kick that PSG have in this game and it is literally 20 yards out. Two right. yards, three yards outside the box maximum. And there's no room. There's no room to do anything. Yeah. 10 yards away, there's a wall of three players. Slightly closer is another Marseille player. Then on the six yard line, there's, there are three players one on each post and there's another Marseille player in the six-yard box. Essentially, Marseille are adopting a zonal marking system on a direct free kick from 21 yards out, <laughs> right? And you're just like, this is, it was so wild that like I took that screenshot, I posted it on Twitter and I was just like, this is, there's no way here. There's just no, there's no way room, to do there's anything. No room. There's, there's no, no room, room to do anything. You've got a goalkeeper in there and one, two, three, four PSG players in the six-yard box as well. Messi, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go and find it. It's he hits incredible. his free kick. It flies off the bar, bounces down just outside, just just outside the goal line, and comes out. And I was like, if that had gone in off the bar, this would have been honestly one of the most iconic things I've ever seen. And I know there was that no sounds, room. There's literally the only room is the width of the ball itself. I know that sounds massively over the top, but honestly, I could not fucking believe what I was watching. Well, it was, it was incredible. No, you're right. You're right because there was no. There's literally if you if they do like one of those um those views from behind the goal, like a virtual reality reconstruction mm. of it. There's literally the width of the ball. There's yeah, no. I wanna, there's I no gap. Know, like, the, I want to know no the gap. goal probability from that. If there was if there was an actual if if anyone has like I haven't checked up or anything, but if there was a goal probability from that specific free kick based on where everyone was stood, what was available, and the distance, and all of this kind of stuff. And I've said this many times before, and I know podcast listeners will get tired of this, but I've got to say it again. The other comic element is that Paul Lopez was in goal for Marseille. And for all <laughs> follows this podcast, the fact poor, that- Poor fucking Paul Lopez, man. Because Paul Lopez- He went to Liga. <laughs> having been in goal in Espanol, Messi found him there and they had their little talk on the pitch. And ever since, it feels like ever since that day, they first had that bit of chat. But do you know what? If they, it, honestly, if yeah. this had gone in- Incredible. Paolo Lopez would have been like, why always me? Can you imagine his why phone? Why always me? Can why you imagine I... his phone if this had gone in? <laughs> it's WhatsApp. 
Not again, pal. <laughs> uh, thankfully for Paolo Lopez, it didn't go in, but it was still absolutely unbelievable. I know we just spent a few minutes talking about a messy freak that didn't go in, but honestly, it was the... W- they knew this full, was, right? They knew full, this was. Zo- full zonal marking from a 21-yard free kick. Incredible. Just unbelievable. Um, do we need to talk about the goal? We should talk about the goal. Mbappe to Neymar, which, you know, beats that narrative a little bit because uh, they looked like... Although Neymar didn't give him the full hug. I was doing a little bit of amateur body language analysis. Neymar had the superior performance, I think, as well. Defensively, he did a lot of work track back. Mbappe had that thing where there's that trademark Mbappe finish where he looks if he's going in the far post and cuts it back to the near post. And even that didn't work uh, the other day. And I think he made a lot of very good movement. He pulled wide really well, but just wasn't decisive with the finishing. Uh, he sliced one high and wide in the first half and looked really frustrated with himself. And I think it's because he just didn't have his, his rhythm. And it's weird. Then again, having said all that, having said all that, Neither Mbappe nor Haaland scored this weekend. And that's because, although they may appear superhuman and extraterrestrial, they're actually not. And there are Mm. ways to stop Mbappe and Haaland. And the ways to stop them are both shown, which is that you defend as a team. Like, It sounds sounds brutally obvious, but you defend as a team, you stop these two players. And that's it, really. Um, and Marseille, to their credit, did that really quite well, I thought, and should be slightly disappointed, I think, they didn't get a point from this game, I would say. I do. I think they were good They were good value for it as well. And uh, they obviously went down to 10 men with 20 minutes to go when uh, Gigo got sent off. Yeah, straight red. I thought it was kind of fair, actually. Do you know what, as well? Do you know why I think it was kind of fair as well? Because the conditions. Like, even, even on TV, it looks bad. But, like, if you think how, like, wet that mm. slippery and all that... You, you get hit on a surface like that, you go twice yeah. as far. I think, yeah, it was just a bad tackle. It wasn't, wasn't malicious, I don't think. I think it's just that Neymar, quick feet, p- very poor tackle. Um, and I think, it, I think it was fair enough. Yeah. Um, back-to-back defeats in the league for Marseille. Seen him drop to fourth now. Mm. Uh, PSG out front, three points clear of Lorient. Lorient, awesome. Uh, yeah. Lons in third at the moment. League early season is really, really good. I feel like we've said this the last few years, though, mm. around this point of the season. The Poch quote about the physicality, not the physic that sounds reductive. The intensity. The inte- yeah, the t- that's better. The intensity yeah. of Liga is understated. Yeah. yeah. It's the same with the Bundesliga though. It's the same. PS- mm. People see Bayern and PSG dominating and they're just like, yeah. Anything else? To- oh, Ma- uh, Neymar flew back to Barcelona. He's going on trial this week for some fraud and corruption charges around his transfer to Barcelona. Can I say, that? I'm, that's so interesting, that whole transfer, because... I seem to remember like a two million marketing fee. Do you remember all of that? It's one of the weirdest, that is one of the weirdest transfers. It's even when you saw the breakdown of it, I remember looking at the individual, I mean like only, I think only like sort of 20 million was actually absorbed by Santos. Some, some wild, some that wild was the, amount. That was, the, well, yeah, because also there was a, you know, like a, 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 a what they call like a, not a finance company, but like a, an investment, a management company, company. investment company that had, yeah. the, that had a percentage of Neymar's transfer rights or playing right, rights. Right. And basically, even though Real Madrid offered 50 million euros, I think, for him at the time, the, the fee that Barcelona ended up paying to Santos was, was something like around 20. And then all of the rest of it was to Neymar's company yeah. and his father and all of this kind of stuff, allegedly, I should say. So even at the time, it looked complicated. Even yeah, at the I mean, time. It's yeah. been a kind of open secret that there, there was probably a lot more to that transfer than people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so keep an eye on that this week. I look forward um, to the Netflix documentary about that when it all shakes yeah. out. Speaking of trial and that kind of stuff, uh, Mason Greenwood was charged this weekend. Um, just a bit of a content warning, this accounts uh, 
rape and sexual assault. So if you want to skip forward 15, 20 seconds, do so now. Um, Janet Potter, the Deputy Chief Crown Prosecutor for CPS Northwest, said, The CPS has today authorised Greater Manchester Police to charge Mason Greenwood with attempted rape, engaging in controlling a coercive behaviour and assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. All three counts relate to the same complainant. Greenwood's first court appearance will take place today at Greater Manchester Magistrates Court. Should we go to a quick break? Let's do it. All right, man, let's go to the Premier League. Straight to Anfield. Let's do it. Liverpool 1, Man City 0. What a game. Loved this performance from Liverpool. Yeah. Love this game. Love this game. Yeah. I just had a great, again, a great tempo <laughs> to it. Over there. I love this game. Love, love this, this game. game. I love this, love this game. <laughs> Genuinely, you know, it was, it is it was the really kind good. of uh, performance that only Liverpool could have produced with this configuration of players. If you looked at this 11 and you looked at Thiago, Elliot, Fabinho, Milner, you're thinking, ah, will they have in certain crucial areas, the intensity, the movement. To, they did. They did all of that. And I think it's because actually they got to, you know, talking, they're talking basketball about getting to your spots they, to shoot. They got to their spots half a step quicker than Man City in all the crucial areas. And they compressed the space really, really well to the point where if you look at their kind of creative outlets in midfield for Man City, like Gundogan, for example, and De Bruyne, Gundogan and De Bruyne never really found their passing rhythm, I would say. If that's fair. Like the first 20, 25 minutes, I look at Gundogan and De Bruyne, I'm thinking you're not getting to the spots that you want to because yeah, those gaps I've, have been closed out. Does that make sense? I think that's, that's a really good observation. It felt like purely from an eye test, mm. it felt like Liverpool defended all the way up the pitch with yeah. much higher intensity than they have done for most of the season. It was amazing, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that Holland was so quiet because every time he got the ball, there were two, maybe three Liverpool players around him. Van Dijk seemed to go everywhere with him, almost yeah. being flanked by people as well. It was considering where Liverpool are at the moment in terms mm. of, you know, they've lost a, they've lost Luis Diaz until the World Cup at at least or got past the World Cup December, who has been probably their best player this season. I think in an offensive sense as well, mm. they've lost Trent who was going through a difficult time. Then they've had to put James Milner in there at right back. Mm. And I just felt like they, they were so locked in on what they needed to do. It was almost like, um, I don't know, it was weird because it felt like the mentality of a side who yeah, really ha- have had their backs against the wall this season and have gone mm. through a really difficult period. But I think the quality of the game from yes. both sides actually yeah, yeah, yeah. was so high. It was like another top of the table clash. It was elite, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was, it was amazing. Great. It was great. Just so, it was so, there were so many little bits of the game that were really amazing. One of them was some of Thiago's short passing just yeah. blew me away. Yeah. His ability to work the ball through the gaps yeah. from deep in his own half. He also hit an absolute <laughs> horror pass at one point where it was just like, who was that to? Oh, we're trying to get one diagonal in the first half. Where he just went, the diagonal, just, yeah, because the angles, this is the thing about the game as well, which is vital because one thing that was impressed by this game was the way that the opposing teams closed that angle so well. So the crossfield pass you're talking about, there was just no angle for him to hit that with like a margin of error. And if you look at Holland and what they did with him, there's a lot of talk about Holland. I've, I've said this to like many people before, you have to just defend him as a team, right? Mm. One of the reasons that Holland gets so much joy in his first few games is because they allow, they allow separation. But this was actually a defense where they made him for the most part 
make those angled runs where he's going onto his right foot and they're making him run steep. They're not giving him a clear run at goal. It's only a couple of times in the first half. You saw him getting a clear run. You saw him get a clear run in the second half um, and a really good low save. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they shepherded him pretty well, handled him quite well, compressed spaces. And that was, that was the difference in the end. I mean, the, um, I think the thing, yeah. just, just on Hall and quickly, because yeah. I think it's, as we saw with Darwin Nunez, who had probably, I really hate kind of going this hard on a player like this, but he had one of the, I think that, that thing that he had in the second half where they broke three on one Liverpool and he yeah. had the chance to square it across. Mm. That will probably piss Klopp off more than anything that Darwin Nunez has done this season. Because I think that that isn't a, you know, our bit of a poor finishing could have, could have connected mm. a bit better. That's pure like team play right. decision making, which was, I, 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 I don't want to go too hard on Nunez because he's been essentially like a bit of a meme machine in the, since he's been to Liverpool. And I don't, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable how some very, very, very big accounts go after him in certain ways. Mm. But purely from a footballing point of view, this was this yeah. was really, really poor. And if Liverpool hadn't won the game, I would, I, I, I couldn't even imagine to, to, I couldn't even imagine what Klopp would be like in mm. the dressing room. Mm. I still think he would have got it from Klopp afterwards because a really strange cameo from him, I thought. And I've never really been that concerned about Darwin Nunez. I think he's just a young striker. He's had a very high profile transfer. Mm. I don't. I think he's a he's a different kind of player to Holland in the you know. I don't think that he's as much of a quote unquote mentality monster as Holland is yet because I think Holland has almost been destined for this position since he's been able to prep for it since he was like fifteen. Mm. I've never been too concerned about Nunez. I've always thought that like maybe he'll be fine, but this this was probably the most concerned I've felt about his potential at Liverpool because I think this suggests more. Does that make sense? Am I? Am it's the I, desire to do. Do you know what it is? It's. If anything, this is very reductive, but I'll put it this way. I think actually, weirdly enough, Holland was not selfish enough at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And, and Darwin was maybe too selfish. And I think it, Holland played one pass extra to Foden, onto Foden's, um, was it other foot? Mm. And I think Holland could have shot then. And it was just a tiny moment where I thought, oh, actually, like, you know, he's a team player. And I think he doesn't get credit enough for that playmaking function. No, um, I agree, actually. And I think yeah. that Darwin Nunez, you know, he also had a bad miss late on. And I think they both came from like, he's trying to um, force it actually. Yeah. Instead of allowing the game to come. And I understand there's a huge pressure on him, the huge transfer fee. So I think he's trying to do too much because when he went for the ball himself, for the goal himself, I don't think it was hero ball in the sense of, oh, I think I'm better placed than these guys. I think it's like, I've got to make my mark mm. actually. I think there's an element of that. And you can see it sometimes in players. And Look, they still got the win. He was in position for both of those. So at least he's making the right kinds of movements and the goals should come. Um, and ultimately he can say, look, I was part of a big victory and they move forward and Liverpool badly needed that. Yeah. And actually someone else that badly needed this on that topic is Mo Salah. Yeah. Mo Salah I mean, has not had the yeah. best season and wasn't having the best match finishing wise. Probably should have scored twice before, at least once before he got the goal that he got. And as is so often the way with elite strikers, going through a slightly tough patch, ended up scoring the hardest of three. I mean, that touch for the goal 
to roll Cancelo, to roll Cancelo, and yeah. then control the ball on the bounce with Unreal. the kind of upper bit of your thigh. Unreal. Th- that whole sequence is is kind of unbelievable. Well, there's basically about five players in the world at the moment that can do that. I would say technically, with that amount of pressure on, there's like five players in the world that can do that. I would say tops in terms of the timing, the technique, the pressure of the game. And Salah, like he's always been in that bracket. There might be five players who could complete that entire sequence. That time and that pressure, yeah. But even players to be able to bring that touchdown in that scenario is it's kind of incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, um, with, ever, with a roaring Anfield and all of that, all of that pressure, like City have just seen the attack and Salah has been in and out of the game. Actually, to be fair to him, he made some really good breaks in the first half, actually. Mm. There were bits in the first half where you're like, just a couple of bits where like he's rolling the ball under his studs and like he didn't make that, he didn't complete that pass actually, but you're just like, he's on, he's confident, he's trying things. Mm. He's being really brave. And I think one thing with Salah that we've kind of, it's been intermittent this year is not the risk. I don't, he's always been a risk-taking player, but I think the kind of, um, the real just like pin your ears back and go for it. And I think this game, he was really like determined. There was a mm. determination here to be decisive. And I think that's what won through in the end. Do you want to talk about City's disallowed goal? Yeah. Uh, Do you know what, from a City point of view, it's a real shame that this was disallowed because in terms of a goal in the context and the the aesthetic and the visual, the celebration, it was like kind of cool. Yeah, it was. It was full on. Just one of those just like Foden, front post, in the roof of the net. There's beer flying somewhere over Jao Cancelo. Jao Cancelo's giving it the big in. (laughs) Uh, Rodri comes in and just looks for a bit, holds it and just goes, Vamos. At the crowd, <laughs> where everyone's flying in, uh, but I mean, it was it was definitely a foul. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would yeah. have been interesting if he if he hadn't fouled Fabinho though, because that second one on Allison, I think technically because he does, Allison doesn't have quote unquote control, control of the control. ball. I yeah, think yeah, they yeah. would have let it stand. I think that's fair, I think and that's it would fair. have been mega contentious. It would have been one of those ones where people are just talking about decisions all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, but yeah. I think it was it was a clear foul on Fabinho, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. So fair enough. But Pep, Pep, Pep was so so close to rocking another twice. I mean, to be honest, could this have been the difficult second album to the twice gift? <laughs> Do you know the amazing think, was the way I that think, Pep. I think this is Pep's a good, sarcastic applause of the crowd. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. That gift incredible. It could be one that ages as well as ta- as twice. You know, like when the NBA finals, when uh, Draymond Green is like turning to the Celtics crowd when he's playing for the Warriors and the Celtics are winning, he just is uh, a sarcastic applause. He's dancing along. I, there's something really amazing when they're in on the joke, mm. when they realise this is just all a big, you know, it's all a big, it's all a big joke. It's all ridiculous. It's a cosmic joke. And I think there's almost, I know it's strange to say it, but even among Liverpool fans online, I noticed the kind of bit of affection for Pep. And someone wrote a really funny comment. They said, I think Pep really loves Anfield because it's one of the few times where you get a game where, because City just steamroller so many teams, Mm. it's an old school, you know, it's like the early days, you know, when you were really up against it every single week. And there's something maybe in that. Like there's a lot of, um, there's not much between these these are uh, uh, these teams, all these managers. Actually, this is the no. thing. Like when 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 Klopp was when Klopp. And it's had obviously that, points wise. But when Klopp are, said that thing the other day about how you can't compete with City financially, which he's right, he's right in terms of that. In terms of like we can we count like the fact is they had Grealish on the bench and Grealish cost hundred million. And as Miguel Delaney said earlier this week, you know, hundred million for a player you didn't really need. They didn't really need Grealish. They got him because they wanted him and they saw him as an upgrade or whatever. 
but only Jurgen Klopp pushes City this close for this many years. It's only him. And he knows that. Grace Robertson wrote a great tweet saying, it always makes me laugh that Pep and Klopp both hate everything around these games, but have nothing but respect for each other. And I think Pep knows. Like that thing that Klopp said in the week about uh, clubs and ceilings, like everyone knows, but that's just the reality of what we're dealing with at the moment. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah. But also I think Pep knows that when Klopp says something like that, he's not having to go at Pep. Actually. No, no, no. Yeah, He's having yeah, a go at the system. Yeah. And I know that Klopp is also, you know, there are a lot of people that said, well, you know, you've left your 80 million pound striker on the bench, blah, blah, blah. But mm. it's about more than one player. It's about more than yeah. one transfer. I know that Klopp isn't everyone's cup of tea. I personally mm. love Klopp. I think he, we'll talk about his bad side in a bit because he was a bit naughty in this game. But I think mm. fair play yeah. to him afterwards. He, straight away, he was just like, yeah, I got that wrong. Mm. Uh, I, I think he said, yeah, I apologise or something like that. But yeah, no, it was completely my fault. I shouldn't have done that. He got sent off. Mm. He shouldn't be going after assistant referees like that because yeah, he is should. a big guy and it is very intimidating mm. if you're trying to referee a game and you've got this <laughs> absolutely hench dude. I don't know what the hell he was saying. I think to, to, to be fair though, his point was kind of... I mean, it was, a, yeah, Bernardo Silva. It was a foul. Like it was, was, and there were a couple of these. Yeah. There was one on, Rodri did one on, I mean, he was, on, he was uh, wearing Salah. Salah, Salah was wearing like a coat at one point. Yeah, the, but also though, I think Anthony Taylor, I don't want to talk about the refereeing too much, but there were a few times in this game that I don't think he did himself any favours. He let a few fouls go that should, he should have just given them because it would have been, I, I understand the kind of letting the flow of yeah, the game, game and all this yeah, stuff, but actually you create so much more of a problem for yourself later in the game when you have to make decisions. There was one even like Bernardo Silva got just shoved over on mm. the touchline but because he he was receiving the ball from a throw and it looks like he's trying to buy a foul he just didn't give it and it's like the more you do this the more that the players get hyped and up and the fouls escalate exactly yeah, yeah. but in that I think what, one thing I thought I think was really interesting is just look at the calmness of Holland and Van Dijk Holland and Van Dijk come over in that situation Van Dijk first of all just gives <clears throat> Bernardo Silva a very um, let's just say a chest bump warning do you know what it's like, though? Those two are like German Shepherds and like Bernardo Silva's like a Jack Russell. In terms of the energy, right? Just in terms of the energy. Because they're like, they're bemused by it. They're bemused by, you don't really want this to escalate. And I think that's really a credit to both of them. Actually, shout out to Van Dyke, that incredible clearance off the line. I've got to say this as well. And oh my God, yeah. It's easy to, crit- and here's the thing as well, just a bit in terms of like strikers like Holland, it's easy to criticise strikers when they didn't score and be like, oh my God, so-and-so had a bat. No, actually sometimes defensively people excel mm. because actually Holland, I thought, had a good game, I would say. And against a different configuration of defenders, he scores one or two. It's just that Liverpool were really on it. And I think one thing I'll say about the Klopp sending off as well, like it was just, it was a bad look from him just because I know like, you know, it, it got the crowd riled up, but I think this is an important thing to sort of note, to put a pin in this. People often talk about managers having psychological control. And I think, I think the mind games era has kind of died, right? Mm. Because I think managers don't have that rivalry, but I think it was important to remember actually just what pressure they're under and how often they do lose it. And watching Pep and Klopp, one thing that's interesting about them over the years is they're two managers frequently do lose it, actually. Mm. These are really not people who are in control. Um, no, either they're not like the, yeah. they're not Ancelotti. <laughs> no, they're no, they're, they're really not like Ancelotti. No, no, I mean, no. Can you imagine Pep or Klopp just when his team scores a really important goal, just holding a cup of tea, casually looking towards the linesman? Honestly, still my favorite. Yeah, Everton, go, against it, yeah, Everton when he was at Everton, it was just it's just unbelievable. And Everton goes wild, and he's just and like he's just going, like he's got his yeah. tea, his eyebrow goes up. He's still like he's still a bit too hot, so he's just 
He's just gone. It's <laughs> fucking unbelievable. Is there anything we missed about this game? Apologies if we've missed anything. Do you feel contentious? Because this game seems to really throw up some contentious stuff. But I think overall, listen, I think Man City had all of the ball or the majority of the ball. And just, mm. I think Pep will be really happy with that in one sense. But I think that this was really interesting because this, I think, is a sign of what can happen to Man City against elite teams if Holland doesn't score. He had that one header. For him, it's actually quite a good chance, but I don't think it's a good chance for any normal footballer. Yes, yes. It was so hard at also Allison. The, the chip half an hour in, we have to talk about, that was actually a good chance too, I Oh, think. yeah. Yeah, it was. 32 minutes in and stuff like that. The attempted chip over Allison. Yeah. I think that, that actually, weird enough, was probably the, the best of the chances. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, City lose for the first time in the league this season. Means Arsenal four points clear. Before we move on, just to put a pin in one more thing, I'll be fascinated to see because, of course, it's a copycat league, I'll be fascinated to see how much of this blueprint other teams now take and try and use against um, City in games to come. Like, you know, how much more of this will we see? Do you know who I think this result pissed off the most? Who's that? Antonio Conte. Because <laughs> he's like, I was going to do that. But no, he's just like, I've been doing this all season. People give me shit for it. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, because it's Kloppo. Everyone's just like, oh, Kloppo. Oh, wow, masterclass, oh, masterclass. Oh, yeah, oh, we love Jürgen Klopp. Oh my God, like, oh, <laughs> counter-attacking. What a brilliant counter-attacking goal. When I do it, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Spurs, they are level on points for Manchester City and they beat Everton 2-0 on Saturday night at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Do you know what? I think in the second half of this game, I think Spurs were really good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, level on points with City. Uh, there's obviously midweek games this week as well, so it's going to be busy, busy, busy in the league. But um, let's quickly talk about... Uh, let's shout out Fulham and Bournemouth because this game was brilliant and I think probably fair, fair result. But do you know what? I just can't see these two going down. And I think considering that we're, what, 10 games in now, mm. 10th and 11th in the league, I think they both deserve a huge amount of credit. Marco Silva... And Gary O'Neill. We've talked about Gary O'Neill a bit, but Marco Silva really needed this yeah. oh, to go totally, well, man. Yeah, and Fulham he really, really needed this. this. I mean, well. there's yeah. obviously a long way to go, and I but I would be very, very surprised if these two teams get dragged into that bottom three. Yeah, United drew nil nil. Yeah, uh, I think United are extremely lucky to get away with not having a penalty given against them here. I think that's. An, I cannot understand why that foul from Varane on Callum Wilson is not a penalty. I just can't understand it. Can you? I can't. You don't I think care. I don't. No, not really. Not really. I don't, you don't I, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just. I find. I'm trying to detach emotionally from what's happening there because Justin United go on a little bit of a kind of run or show some form. Things backslide, so I'm trying to kind of anesthetize myself. Look, it moves just, it. I think what we're just trying to say, everyone, is just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Um. Chelsea beating Villa 2-0 at Villa. I was impressed with Villa. I thought Villa played really, really well. And bar Kepa, an otherworldly performance from Kepa Arasabilaga. That one save he made from, was it from Danny Ings? And he's on the line and he manages to tip it over. Unreal. It was Unreal. absolutely mind-blowing. There were actually a couple of incredible saves this weekend, but that was oh probably... Oh my God. The, he yeah, was yeah. unbelievable. And he, he earned Chelsea the points there. 100%. Yeah. Like, obviously, Mason Mount's free kick was unbelievable. That, that is... That is a, so good. That ball travelled in like three different dimensions. By the so time went good. But um, Graham Potter knew, like, yeah, afterwards he was... I think he was basically like, yeah, we kind of got away with one. Uh, he doesn't know what a glow-up is, though. 
that's listen. Strategic does ignorance. he though? Of course does he, he does. Of course he coached in Brighton. Brighton created the glow up. Graham Potter is an accidental thirst trap. Or a deniable thirst trap. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he, knows he knows exactly what he's oh, doing. Oh, no, this isn't a thirst trap. What are you talking about? Oh, please. He knows exactly what oh, he's I doing. Oh, I just had a haircut from one of the guys who cuts the boy's hair. Oh, and a black roll neck. Oh, oh yeah. Come on, come, come on. on. You don't go to Milan and wear a roll neck on the touchline next to Pioli. You don't know what a glow up is. Come on. Can't blag a blagger. Exactly. And tell you what. <laughs> you can't catfish a catfish, I tell you that. If there was ever a catfishy blaggy podcast, it was ours. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, poor result for Villa considering the performance, but I think the performance is the main thing because they've not been playing well for a while this season. Yeah, that's right, um, that's right. And a good result for Chelsea because, you know, you need to get away with those. As Speaking of get away with them. Yeah, your lot got away with it. Arsenal won, uh, Arsenal beating Leeds 1-0 at Ellen Road and I thought first half actually Arsenal were okay. They kind of managed that situation pretty well first half. Mm. Second half, however, my God, Leeds were amazing and deserved a point. I think like more mm. than a point. Um, they obviously had uh, Patrick Bamford missed the penalty. He came on in the second half and just absolutely wreaked havoc on Arsenal. Mm. By far and away the worst half of football that Arsenal played this season. But I'm not sure if that was. I think that was a lot of it was down to Leeds. Leeds just made them play that way. They were super disruptive. Really got in Arsenal's faces metaphorically. Crowd was was really raucous. They didn't let Arsenal play football. Like I said, Patrick Bamford came on and just absolutely torched Saliba and Gabriel. I mean, this game was weird anyway because it had that delay at the beginning. Because yeah, of the yeah, AR suspension. Thing. Of the Although game, really yeah, sweet yeah. thing on, on German Sky commentary, they're so used to things being closed on Sundays in Germany, but they were they said this thing being like, oh, because it's Sunday, we hope somewhere is open that they can fix this. <laughs> you know, because they were assuming that all the shops were also closed in the UK <laughs> as opposed to Germany. Um, <sighs> but in short, as, a, as an Arsenal fan, an extremely uncomfortable game of football to watch and one that I can't really believe Arsenal got the three points. And one which they were the not winning points. in previous seasons. Well, I think this Certainly is the not thing. recent ones. Like, this is the thing. Last season, Arsenal loses 3-1. Like, without, without question. Without, without question. Without a doubt. Without question. Um, obviously, if the penalty goes in and the goal stands, then who knows? But, yeah. I mean, just extremely fortunate and one which you have to win some games like this if you if you have any desire of, of doing something in a league and I, I, I just to to go on record I don't think Arsenal will win the league this season I'm, I'm not even thinking anything like that but what I am thinking is that Arsenal have been playing catch-up so lot for so many seemingly so much of the last few years at certain points this is just them trying to maximize as much as many get as many points on the board as early on in the season as possible so that when the inevitable blip comes which it will mm it hurts Arsenal less than it, it has done in recent seasons. Yep, all very fair. I talked a lot about a game I didn't want to talk about ever again. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, no, you. just finally, another shout for Leeds because Leeds were brilliant. Especially yeah. in that second half, Leeds were absolutely brilliant and um, I think there's a lot for Leeds to take out of that game. Absolutely. Can I just segue very quickly because I know we're, um, we're going to be finishing up soon. I want to segue to two other... Um, well, to other leagues, very quickly, just uh, to Serie A. Do it. Um, because Napoli got a win that they wouldn't have got last year, beating Bologna 3-2. Yes. And that was outstanding for them because not only did it allow them to keep pace at the top because there were wins for Atalanta over Sassuolo, Ademano Lukman's looking good, um, Inter over Slenitana, and Milan against Verona. Those teams all won, so it was important for them to win. But 
again, this is a Napoli that we haven't seen before in terms of resilience. Ossiman with the winner um, after it was a, a bit of a to and fro. And Bologna are just a very good side. They put some great results at the end of last year as well. So really, uh, Tiago Motta coaching them, who's obviously no clown. Um, what a hero. Yeah, really, yeah, really impressive uh, that Napoli came through like this. Um, and the other win, so, so it's a Serie A kind of as you were, but one other game I've got to talk about, we've got to talk about very briefly, is the Union oh my God. game. So Union is still top of the Bundesliga. Yeah, they are. And they're legit. Like, wherever they end up this year, and this is this this league, like, you know, because Bayern are showing signs of life again. They beat Freiburg 5-0. Uh, Jasmine Baba made a good point. Like, they look quite tired, Freiburg. Um, quite a leggy squad. But Union, I mean, there was a lot of talk about how Gregor Kobel would have done better for the goals that um, Dortmund conceded last week. And he came back into this team. And immediately with a bad mistake for the opener. This is not to knock him. It's just, it was what, you know, it was what it was. Yeah. The thing is, it wasn't a goalkeeping error. It was like, it just, a, he just slipped on a kick out. The weird thing was the lack of the complete recognition when... Like when you know, he made a mistake, and he's like, they're oh, gonna, yeah, yeah, he was never passing in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like you could just see, he was just like, no. It's but I think this is the thing, though. But days. also, Adding Amy gives the ball away for the second, and I think this is the thing about Union this season that they, they are, they've been really good at, 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 at capitalizing on mistakes from opposition. Yeah, and they give yeah, you nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Right. They give you absolutely nothing, Union. They've conceded six goals in the Bundesliga this season. The closest in terms of a, a defensive record as good is is Bayern with eight. And their set piece demons as they well. Just don't give you anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are legit. Urs Fischer is <laughs> legit. Putting together absolute symphony. He's conducting a symphony there. He's been a stadio favourite for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, quickly Bayern beating Freiburg five 0 and um, Chupa Moteng coming in as a number nine. I think really helped Bayern in this game. Yes, just very gave much so. them a bit of an anchor and allowed Knabri to play in a little bit more of a natural way. Mm. Mane, Sané and Gnabry worked so well around him and yeah Bayern were just really good it was really really comfortable for them anything else you want to talk about in the Bundesliga oh actually before we do go uh, Eintracht Frankfurt big win over uh, Bayer Leverkusen 5-1 oh yeah tough week for Javi Alonso yeah yeah. although there's a big shift going on at Bayer Leverkusen and Mm. early signs despite some poor results uh, there have been some good signs that's so I just think they need to pick up a few points, get to the World Cup and the break and just let Javi Alonso work with him in that. Yeah, off, that's that right. Kind that's of right. Season yeah. break. Yeah. Uh, all right, everyone. Hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Um, don't forget to, don't forget there's no Rice House this week, but it'll be back next week. Um, don't forget to check theringer.com and check the Stadio Actress Plays on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on Christine Lewin's cover version of the classic Juicy Fruit uh, played out on one or two from this album before I think it's from the compilation on Athens of Athens of the North called For the Love of You uh, anything you want to add me Kwonga? No nothing further I'm all good Nice well, in that case stay well everyone have a lovely week we'll be back with you on Thursday See you then Bye.